0: Hello and welcome to this episode of CFA Institutes Take 15. I'm Steve Horn in Seattle at our 2010 Asset Allocation for Private Clients Conference and I'm joined by Doug Rogers, CFA. Doug opened up our program talking about tax-efficient investing and he's an author of Uh, A seminal text for those people managing private client portfolios, worried about tax efficiencies of a book called Tax-Aware Investment Management, The Essential Guide. Doug, thanks for joining us. Great to be here, Steve. Doug, one of the chapters in your book deals with after-tax reporting for mutual funds, and um, there's uh, sort of a long-storied history on how those
1: methods and techniques have developed over time. Can you talk a little bit about that? The history is very interesting. Uh, What happened in the late 90s with the very strong bull market we had in equities, uh, mutual funds began distributing capital gains distributions. It would be about 15 to 20% in certain cases of their total assets. Uh, What happened is a member of Congress got letters from their constituents complaining. As a result of that, there was an act or piece of legislation passed before Congress called the Tax Aware Act by a vote of 385 to 2 that actually mandated that something be done. The SEC did not want to be kept short or caught short, so they went ahead and formed a group within the organization and started out a public comment letter for mutual funds after tax reporting. As a result of that, they turned to the AIMR at the time, now called the CFA Institute, and asked that they participate because we already had standards on the separate account side. But our first mission in that subcommittee was really to respond to the SEC's initiative. So that's how it got started. What were some of the challenges to implementing some of these methods? Uh, Some of the challenges with after-tax reporting is trying to solve the various needs of the shareholders or investors. As a result of that, when you look at the SEC standards today, there are three rows of information or returns. The first row is the same, like in any mutual fund reporting, the results are after fees. But then they came up with what is called both a pre-liquidation and post-liquidation. And Lee Price, who has written on this beforehand, really calls it the fully liquidated basis or the unrealized cost basis. Okay? So they really kind of borrowed from Lee's previous work. And what it allows you to do in pre-liquidation, you're only taxing those distributions that are made. Now, the difference between that and post-liquidation, what the SEC was worried about is that you would still have perhaps a strong unrealized capital gains position. but. If you did not hold, especially the fund, beyond one year, you couldn't see the tax implications. So with the post-liquidation method, you could really see the potential impact as if you actually sold that position, whether you had the capital gain or loss position inside. So why did they choose to list both pre-liquidation and post-liquidation? Essentially, they were trying to solve both needs. Uh, if you look at it, on pre-liquidation, it's almost a perfect type of calculation if you're looking up at the step-up in basis. And it's you know also very good for equity-type mutual funds where hopefully you have a buy-and-hold proposition, which would be appropriate for an index-type fund. But at the same time, post-liquidation, Okay, that works very very well for most fixed income type funds because you are trading, you know, there's very little capital gains realization in most markets. So essentially, they gave investors both returns and then the truth would be somewhere in the middle. Yeah, that makes sense. So, um Fundamentally, why is it important to
0: be reporting mutual fund performance on an after-tax basis? I mean, is it, one, does
1: it really make that big of a difference, and, and two, do, do people really care? Um, turning to equity mutual funds, when you look at them, the average fund in any normal market will probably lose about 1.3% a year in taxes. Now, that can vary tremendously from an index or passive-type product or tax-efficient fund, um, or that may be about 0.3% a year. But managers that are oblivious to taxes, that could be as high as something like 25 or 2.6%. So there's a wide range, and you can see managers migrate wildly within their peer group when you compare both their before-tax and after-tax returns. So it really gave those investors, now that we're holding that mutual fund in a taxable type situation, the ability to really measure and analyze and pick the best choice for them. One of the
0: measures that um, people tend to cite and use from time to time is Morningstar's tax
1: cost ratio. Where does, where does that come from and how does it fit in? Uh, tax cost ratio has an interesting history. Um, and the first subcommittee we tried to solve the problem of the tax cost ratio. For years, what the consulting community was used was called now the consultant's ratio. And it's very simple, okay? All it is is after tax divided by before tax. And in an upward market like we had in the 90s, you get a very accurate result. The problem is when the market trades down or is quite volatile and trades sideways, the measure has no validity. So the second after-tax subcommittee, we worked on it and we came up with first what's called a relative wealth measure. Now the difference between a separate account and mutual fund, a mutual fund cannot pass losses through the mutual fund. They need to be held inside and they can be held as long as seven years. So for separate accounts, the relative wealth measure makes sense. And essentially you start with a number saying zero, there's no tax impact. So if you have a tax impact, which is a negative, okay, then you'd have a number. If you had tax loss harvesting, when you get credit for it, you get a positive. And that number is pretty much range bound by the tax rate or the maximum federal tax rate of 35%. But it's not a ratio, it's a measure. Now, what Morningstar did is they took that calculation and they came up with a slight modification to it. And it's actually very brilliant, and it's served investors well. What they did is said, wait a minute, this measure would be difficult for people to understand unless you really studied it and understood it. And they said, wait a minute, we don't have the situations where we can push losses through. So they modified it, and essentially the tax cost ratio is the fees and taxes you subtract from the before tax return. And it's always a positive number. So if you lose 1.5% on a tax cost ratio and you have a before-tax return of 10, then the individual investor can say net to me is automatically 8.5%. So there's a very nice simplification, and it's used widely today by analysts. Doug, thanks for joining us and telling us a little bit something about after-tax
0: mutual fund reporting. You're quite welcome. Pleasure to be here. And thank you for joining us to browse our catalog of other multimedia products Visit us on the web at cfawebcasts.org.